Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We tried throttling her when she would eat. We tried different bottles. We tried different flows. Is it too fast? Is it too slow? We tried sweeping her on her side. We tried feeding her in different environments, like something more quiet away from the toddler, which was very difficult. We tried all these different things and nothing was helping. And her SLP mentioned reflux, right? And so we put her on reflux meds, which she did have, but that was not the issue. And her SLP was like, okay, I think she needs a swallow study done to actually see, is she aspirating? What's going on? Because a swallow study could also see like if she was pooling. So pooling is where they kind of store it in their mouth somewhere and then all of a sudden they swallow it later and they're like whoa what was that hey there i'm katie ferraro registered dietitian college nutrition professor and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning here on the baby led weaning made easy podcast i help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning I know everybody trash talks Instagram and that it's a terrible place, but I would like to share that I happen to love certain aspects of Instagram, namely the parents that I get to meet and the stories that I hear about helping their babies transition to solid foods. And one mom that I met online, her name is Brooke. She has an Instagram account called Walkie Talkie Eats. So her first baby was born in 2021 and he did baby led weaning. They followed my 100 first foods approach. She was posting all about his foods and I remember celebrating his 100 first foods. Then, you know, people kind of disappear from your online life. You don't think anything about it. And then like, oh, Walkie Talkie Eats pops back up in my feed. I'm like, who's this baby? It's not Walker. Second baby, baby Salem. Her baby is on a G-tube, a tube to help her get her nutrition. So I start DMing with the mom, like, what's going on? How are you guys doing the tube feeding and the solid foods? Amazing story about this baby's introduction into the world. Lots of challenges learning how to drink milk, silent aspiration, struggles for six months of age, and then it comes time for the baby to start solid foods and the baby's on a tube feed at this point. So I wanted to invite mom, Brooke, on to talk about her experience the second time around with her baby, Salem, how they navigated having a tube feed, which they eventually, I don't want to ruin the story for you, but she just weaned off of the tube feed. And now this baby, just a few days before one year of age, is eating independently, getting most of her nutrition from food, despite the fact that like she was failure to thrive, she was growth faltering, they were struggling all over the board just a few months ago. And so not all tube feeding stories end very, very happy like this one. And I actually didn't know how this one was going to end until we did the interview. But I'm really excited for you guys to hear Brooke's story because I think there's a lot of takeaway messages for here about perseverance and dealing with feeding challenges and when things don't look like you expected them to. And you'll hear mom constantly referring to, I felt so disorganized when we got home or, you know, we didn't have foods or I didn't know what order we were going to go in or she couldn't eat these certain foods. And yet they still persevered by introducing a great variety of foods and I think really, really helped their child. 
by blending both the knowledge that Brooke and her family were getting from the credentialed feeding experts, the GI doctor, the speech-language pathologist, the registered dietitian that they were working with, but combining that with their own expertise and knowing that they know their baby best and really helping to develop a plan that worked for her, that for a while involved the tube feeding and solid foods. And she's going to tell us how she eventually got to wean the baby off of the tube feeding and onto solid foods just before her first birthday. She's almost at 100 foods. So with no further ado, I want to introduce you to the mom behind Walkie Talkie Eats. This is Brooke Tibbet and her story about how her tube-fed baby also safely started solid foods. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and talking to you. Oh, uh, well, in our intro, I explained to the audience a little bit of your backstory, how you did baby led weaning. You did the 100 First Foods approach with your first baby, your son, Walker, who's two and a half now. I was excited to see you back on Instagram with Salem, your daughter, but this is a much different foray into solid foods for your family. So I know when Salem was just starting that transition, you had mentioned she has a G-tube because you said she severely aspirates on even thickened liquids. So I'm sure that this world of tube feeding was new to you too, but can you explain what a G-tube is and how it was helping Salem get her nutrition earlier on in infancy? Yeah. So her G-tube is it's in her stomach and it's basically like a little, almost like a little port that you can attach a tube to so that you can do her feeding through it. And it kind of just circumvents her whole mouth and swallowing system because that was the problem is that she aspirates, which means her liquid goes down her like windpipe instead of her esophagus where it needs to be. How did you first know that she was having issues with aspiration? Like obviously you'd had a child previously, but every child is different. At, at what age or what point did you start noticing that she was having some swallowing challenges? It sounds really weird. I knew there was just something weird, even like when I was pregnant with her, which sounds really weird. I just had this mom tuition that I there was something wrong. And then when she was super little, like newborn, couple weeks old, she would choke on her food. It would be like a, you know, and it was like this little thing that would happen. And it wasn't super frequent, but it was enough to note. And she became over time, like the next couple months that developed, it became more and more frequent. And then she just became really difficult to feed. She would turn her head away and she would be squirmy the whole time. And you think, oh, she's full, but she wasn't. We were struggling to even get like 22 ounces in her a day. It was, it was a struggle. So you were bottle feeding her at that point? Yeah. So she couldn't breastfeed. She had a really hard time. She was getting really tiny and sick. So we didn't breastfeed. So we switched over to formula and that was when we saw, okay, so this is happening. And we brought it up to our pediatrician. Pediatrician was like, she looks like maybe she sucks funny. Um, so she sent her to the SLP. The SLP was like, she definitely sucks fine. There's something else going on here and we need to figure out what it is. How did you get that referral from your pediatrician to the speech language pathologist? Because I think right there for a lot of parents, like, I know in certainly a lot of cases, if you're a first time parent, sometimes the doctors kind of blow you off. Like, oh, no, 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 no. Every baby's different. Or your baby just does weird stuff with their mouth. Like, I'm sure you had to be an advocate for your own child along the way. What enticed you or what encouraged you to like really push for that referral with a speech language pathologist? This the whole journey with me trying to advocate, <laughs> advocate severely for her because yes, that happens constantly to parents. And um, yeah, with her peed, it wasn't as big of an uh, issue. Her peed was more like, I brought it up. I said it was happening and she was like, okay, well, let me see. And so she put her like finger in her mouth to try and test her suck. And she felt like something felt weird, which it didn't. I don't know. Maybe she, she was just off that day. I don't know. Like Salem was maybe off that day, but um, yeah. So she was like, well, maybe let's just go ahead and send her to an SLP. And so that part was really easy. The more of the advocating came once we were, you know, further down our, in our journey, especially near the hospital and all of that stuff going on. So what happened next after your doctor says, okay, 
something's going on. You're concerned that she's choking on milk, essentially, not getting full nutrition from the milk. You know something's wrong. You get this referral to a speech-language pathologist. What happens next? So Salem was like three-ish months old by the time referrals go through and you can actually get an appointment because outpatient stuff takes forever. So she was about three months old and she started seeing our SLP, Kara, and we love her. She's fantastic. But she just started trying her on every possible thing that could make Salem more comfortable. We tried throttling her when she would eat. We tried different bottles. We tried different flows. Is it too fast? Is it too slow? We tried feeding her on her side. We tried feeding her in different environments, like something more quiet away from the toddler, which was very difficult. We tried all these different things and nothing was helping. And her SLP mentioned reflux, right? And so we put her on reflux meds, which she did have, but that was not the issue. And our SLP was like, okay, I think she needs a swallow study done to actually see, is she aspirating? What's going on? Because the swallow study could also see like if she was pooling. So pooling is where they kind of store it in their mouth somewhere. And then all of a sudden they swallow it later and they're like, whoa, what was that? Can I ask how long after you had started meeting with the SLP, like it sounded that you're working on a lot of management versus like trying to understand what the underlying condition was. Like how long after you started working was it until the SLP recommended the swallow study? I think it was about a month. I think it was about a month of working with her before she recommended the swallow study. And then the problem with that is the swallow study, once the recommendation goes through, and once you finally can get an appointment, they almost almost six months old. Oh my gosh. And you're like, oh my gosh, my baby's not getting enough nutrition the whole time. Yeah, it was insane. And by the time that she got to the swallow study, she was absolutely a nightmare to feed. She would, she was constantly wiggling and fighting against the bottle. And like, she was hungry. It's not that she wasn't, she was very hungry. We were struggling to get like 22 ounces in her a day. She was tiny at six months old. She was wearing zero to three months clothes. So <gasps> I can't hungry. believe you guys were dealing with this for six months of age. Yeah. Six and months, it's, just, oh my gosh. it's just how like we couldn't get an appointment. You know, I took, I literally took the first available appointment they gave us for the fall study. And it, I even went on the wrong day. I went on the wrong day because I thought I assumed it was the same month that we, that we scheduled it in. So I went all the way to the office and they were like, your appointment's next month. And we're like, oh, Awesome. Wow. Okay. So what does a swallow study entail? What happened? So basically they uh, give her a barium solution that, you know, it's not formula, it's like some sort of barium solution that they can actually watch on an x-ray. They can see all the liquid go into her mouth. Where does it go? Does it go up her nose? Does it go down her esophagus, down her windpipe? Where is it going? Is she pulling it? And it actually did go up her nose once, <laughs> but, but she swallows it on the x-ray through different levels. So they test her on like very thin. So it's like a level one. And then they do level two, level three, and level four is moderately thick or a honey thick. They changed the terminology some time ago. So it's moderately thick. And it was described to me that like, basically like if you held water in your hands, it would slip through your fingers. But if you held like oatmeal or like applesauce, it might not slip through your fingers. And so aspiration is similar where you might have a child who aspirates on thin liquid, but not moderately thick. So you just have to thicken it for a while. And then you slowly work your way down back to a thin. So did they figure out, is there a stricture? Was there, what was going on? Why was she aspirating? Did, did you find out the underlying reason? I know you started working with the GI doctor at that point as well. Yeah. So after that swallow study, they confirmed, yeah, she's severely aspirating, not just when the times that we were seeing her choking, but it was silent too, which is even more so dangerous. And it was happening really frequently. And they sent us home. They basically, at the appointment, they said, you have two options. You can go to the hospital now, or you can go home on a moderately thick and try it for a bit and see. And if she aspirates it, then you need to go to the hospital because oatmeal isn't sterile like formula. So if she aspirates oatmeal, her pneumonia risk goes up. So we went home with it and she made it about two days and then she aspirated visibly. Wait, aspirated on formula or you would, you would like went for it to start solid foods? So this was, we hadn't started solid foods yet because we were still trying to figure out the 
formula and she was, she turned six months old, but it was just barely six months. And we were doing the thickened, the moderately thickened formula. And she aspirated that. So you were thickening it at home yourself or did it come pre-thickened? We had to thicken it. We thickened it with oatmeal. The options are rice cereal and oatmeal. And I'm not a big fan of rice cereal. So oatmeal, it's oatmeal powder. It's for babies in the the box. So that's what we're using to thicken it. So, but when you were working the SLP prior to doing the test, like didn't the SLP trial different levels of thickness of formula as part of her therapy? We didn't. So I think that at the time we were really trying to, we had to do one thing a week. Yeah. It's so, you were mentioning baby steps. Like that is, that's brutal. One thing a week. Oh my gosh. Right. So we could only make one change a week. So we started with like the basics. And then once she realized the basics changes weren't helping, that was when she said, okay, let's do the S, let's do the swallow study. But it took so long to get in the swallow study. We were still seeing her and we were still trying different things. And it was, again, one new thing a week. So all those things that I listed earlier were just <laughs> each week. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so when did the recommendation come to start a tube feeding? Um, so that was in the hospital. So in the hospital, so after she aspirated, we went to our Pete. Our Pete was like, yeah, you need to go to the hospital. I can't do anything for you. So she was in the hospital for like eight days and they did some tests. They tried to see if there's any physical abnormalities and there wasn't. There was no physical abnormalities. And the GI doctor comes in the room and this was, it was a shock to me deeply because they told us GI was going to fix it. Like GI was going to figure out what's wrong. They're going to fix it. And then he walks in and he starts talking about G-tubes. And I was, I was very overwhelmed. I was like, what are you saying to me right now? You're going to put a hole in my child that I'm going to feed her through. Are you joking? And you don't know what's wrong. And we don't know what's wrong. And that was really frustrating because it was like, you're the doctors. You're, You're supposed to figure this out. Like, you're telling me you have no idea. And this just happens. Like they, they told me, they were like, this just happens sometimes. Like some kids just do this. And I was like, that seems really undetermined. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand that one. But also I need to feed my baby. Yeah. But also she needs nutrition and she had an NG tube as soon as she went to the hospital because they were like, you're not feeding her. They, she went like 14 hours without eating because that's how long it takes you to get to the hospital and then you know, admitted and then an NG tube. So So an NG tube for people who don't know, it's just a nasogastric tube. So they put it in, it's for temporary nutrition. They usually do it in inpatient setting. So it's going to go in through the nose and then up and then down into the stomach. And then you do low level, slow feeds through that, but that's not long-term. Like long-term, they're like, okay, we're going to put a little port in her belly to feed her. At any point, does a registered dietitian get involved? Yes. So we had a dietitian, we had a lot of different teams in the hospital, but we had um, ENT, GI, PEDS, dietitian, SLPs. The dietitian, she was in the hospital. She was, they were doing the math that Salem needed a lot of formula because she was so small. And that was difficult. And that was one of those things where I would talk about advocating for your, for your kids because Salem was literally throwing the formula back up. Like she was, yeah. she was getting sick because, and she was uncomfortable. And I was like, she can't do this much. No, that's refeeding syndrome. If your baby is malnourished, you can't just go ramp it up to a hundred percent. You have to, I mean, I mean, the dietitian obviously knows that, but you have to learn with each baby what rate and you, you're such an advocate, you know, your baby best. Like 
that's too much. That's too fast. Like if she's vomiting it up, she's, she can't tolerate that level yet. We were barely getting 22 ounces in her a day and they bumped her up. They wanted her at 34. And we were like, this is, this is insane. <laughs> like this is too much. But were they doing concentrated formulas so they could give her more nutrition and less volume? No, they decided not to do that for her. They decided to do the regular formula mixture. And I don't remember exactly the reason, but I know that that's, they specifically talked about that and they said they were going to do this instead. I feel like you could pass both the registered dietitian exam and the SLP exam right now. Like you're so knowledgeable about this stuff. And I mean, I didn't realize that all, I just assumed she was on an NG tube or, or a tube feeding prior to starting solid foods. But now you're getting to the six month mark where you're like, I mean, you know, you, you had Walker, like, oh my gosh, they normally start eating food at this point. And you're like taking a step back, which is like, whoa, we have to teach her how to get formula. So at what point did you feel comfortable? And I don't even know how you would have done this, but starting solid foods. It was definitely like, I, cause I was so excited to do baby lay weaning. I love baby lay weaning. I would, we did it. Walker loved it. And I was so excited to do it, but it was one of the things where it was very back in my mind at this time, because we were in the hospital and we were just really trying to <laughs> figure out what's wrong and, you know, make sure she's good. And then in the hospital, the SLPs came and talked to us and said they were going to have another swallow study and we were going to test her on purees. And I was like, Hey, um, so I really like baby like weaning and that's what I'm going to do at home. So could we test her on solid foods too? And they were like, yeah, sure. We could totally test her on solid foods. We don't have any to give her. So you're going to have to go find some. So we would like scrounge her out of the cafeteria trying to find like a banana or something to go give her. But how cool that the SLPs were pro baby led weaning because yeah, it's a crapshoot sometimes. And we've covered that a lot on the podcast, you know, why some SLPs with traditional training may not be pro baby led weaning. A lot of times they don't understand it, haven't done it, haven't ever seen it done successfully, or perhaps don't know the research that supports the baby's ability to do it. But in, you know, in a precarious situation like your own, obviously the child safety always comes first and they do have the progressions that they work on. So did they start with purees then after the thickened liquids? They, so in the hospital, they had determined to cut off all her liquids by mouth. They didn't want her eating liquids by mouth at all at that time. They wanted to give her a system of break because the more you aspirate, the more your body gets used to aspirating and the more it happens without, because adults aspirate all the time. Like adults, you know, it goes down the wrong pipe, so to speak, right? And we cough or like, and it comes back up. Salem was doing it silently. So her body was getting more and more and more used to this as she does it more. So they told her to, they just told us to stop liquids in general for a while, like a couple of weeks, a month. Um, because they would be providing it all by tube, right? Yeah. So it was okay. all by tube. And then with the solids, the SLPs came in and said, Hey, let's watch her eat. They gave me a little sort of seat to put her in. It was kind of a janky setup, but we did it. We, they gave us a sort of little seat and we put her on the bed and she ate a banana in front of them. And they were like, she looks good. Let's test it on the swallow study tomorrow or whatever day it was. And we tested it on the swallow study with applesauce. And then we tested her with banana and I think maybe a strawberry. But yeah, so we tested it and they were like, she looks really good on these things. So you're good to do this at home. So when we got home from the hospital is when I was like, okay, we're doing this. And I was, I felt really disorganized because I was so used to how I started with Walker where it's, you know, banana, sweet potato, avocado. You start with like the very basic stuff. And and I got home and I was like, I was not ready. I was not prepared. I hadn't gone grocery shopping or we hadn't been home for eight days. So our kitchen wasn't ready. And I was like, okay, I want her to eat solid foods. I, got to try that. I just got to start with something. I just got to do this. I got to start. Because they were also like, if you wait too long with a G-tube, especially because they're not eating by mouth, you can run into that oral aversions risk. Okay. What was the first food that you offered her at home? I believe it was pasta because somebody, I think it was pasta because somebody had dropped us off. A family member had dropped us off food 
<laughs> and we were like, and I saw it and I was like, look, this is pasta. It's got Alfredo sauce on it. I don't know. And this Dude, is you're a- such a second time mom. I love it. Like, <laughs> what do I already have that's soft that this baby can probably eat? I forgot to ask you, was she sitting up relatively on her own around the six month mark? Like if she, you know, taking all of these feeding issues away, which I know you can't, but like, did you think she was ready to start at that point or did she need a couple more weeks? Yeah. So, so when she got the swallow study done, she wasn't quite there. And then once we got to the hospital, which even just a few days later, she was there. She was full there. We, she was sitting up in her crib. She actually learned to crawl in the hospital crib and she was ready. She wanted all the food. She was reaching for it. She wanted it. And we were like, okay. Well, that's amazing. Just because she'd had such negative experiences through no fault of your own, obviously, but you're, but it's great that you got that recommendation too. And I love that the SLPs were supporting appropriate timing of the introduction of solid foods, because it is true the longer we wait in some of these babies that the food aversion, the food refusal, and you never know when it's going to come. But when you told me that she was so eager to eat food, that made me so happy because I know how much you had struggled with the milk side of things for the first six months. Yeah. And I think that for her, it was just easier. Like she didn't have a problem swallowing solids. So when she started doing it, she was like, this is something I can eat. And it's not, I'm not struggling. I'm not uncomfortable. I'm good. So I think she was really into it. And then one tip from our SLP was with the G-tube to, you can feed her in a G-tube at the same time she eats solids. And it's a really nice interaction because like her stomach is getting full and she's eating solids. So she's kind of putting those two together as opposed to like constantly doing the G-tube where she's not eating and she just happens to be getting full. It's kind of a difficult, it's a difficult association for some of some babies, some kids, you know? And so doing that was really nice. And that's nice that you acknowledge that from six months of age, babies are not eating to alleviate feelings of hunger. Like she was interested in food, but she did not yet know how to eat. I mean, babies need this long runway to learn how to eat in order to help the feelings of hunger go away. And you're right. We never want to bring a starving or crying or hungry baby to the table because they don't know how to use food yet to let that feeling of hunger go away. Now, was there ever a concern though with a belly full of milk coming from the G-tube? Talk a little bit about gagging on the solid foods and did she ever have gags that were involved to the point where she would vomit because her stomach was of course full of milk from the G-tube? Funny enough, she did not gag that much as much as I expected her to. She did probably more than I think my son did, but she really didn't do it as much as I expected given her other feeding issues. And she never vomited from from eating the solid foods. With the uh, eating the G tube at the same time, we kind of her G tube was a very slow drip. It was like at the start, it was like a forty minute feed for I don't remember, it's like three or four ounces. So it was really slow. So it was a it was it gave her time to like eat the food and kind of feel both at the same time. And were you guys doing like bolus feeds where it would be like? X number of ounces and then wait a few hours or was it continuous feeding or feeding overnight? It was both. Yeah. So at the hospital, remember I said she was, she was throwing up. So they were like, okay, well, we'll subtract from the bolus feeds and then we'll do more on the overnight. And so I was like, okay, that's fine with me. She seems comfortable with the overnight. So when we came home, we were doing bolus during the day and then she would be hooked up all night and getting more of her nutrition all night. And when she was sleeping and they were infusing her overnight, did they have her on an incline? What? How was she positioned? No. No, Did that make you nervous? Yes. The whole thing made me nervous because it goes against everything that I know, which is like nothing in the crib, only the sleep sack, only, you know, fitted crib sheets. Yeah. Like everything that I know was. Especially with silent aspiration. I feel like I'd never be able to sleep because I'd just be watching like constantly. Yeah, it was, it was a struggle. And I was really worried that she was going to pull it out. That was my biggest fear was that like, cause I mean, there's a cord in her crib all night. She's a great sleeper. So that was a very big benefit to us, but 
I was so worried she was going to pull it out. And she did at some point. She would pull on it sometimes and it was mostly okay at night. The one time that it did come out overnight was actually when she wasn't even hooked up. It just fell out. Okay. So, but that was in the hospital. She was on an NG tube. When she came home, you were feeding her into her stomach and you guys were doing the infusions at home on your own. Is that correct? Okay. So talk about the taper. How did you get to a point where I know you guys just passed a major milestone where she no longer on the tube feeding, right? Yeah. So she still has the G tube. She's just not using it. But yeah, so it was, it was really slow. It was uh, once we started, so I got in contact with my SLP. My SLP was kind of like, I'm good with her trying very thickened, like very thickened liquid in an open cup. Cause that's where we wanted to start with an open cup. Because the big thing with her was that they were really concerned about bottles and it, it wasn't, it was more of a guesswork, right? We didn't know hundred percent, but we knew that with the bottles, it didn't work. So we were like, no bottles, absolutely none. So we did open cup at start and the SLP, we would go to see her, we would do it in my office. And she was a little bit concerned because she was very disorganized with it. And I mean, because she's be six months right? old. Yes. Right. Yeah. So she's six months old. She's going to be disorganized with it. But with Salem already having an aspiration risk, it was a little bit like, oh, like I want to keep doing this open cup. But I, we switched her over to a spoon feed. So we would do a like an easy peasy spoon actually was what we were using. Um, we were using the easy peasy spoons and we were just putting a little bit on it just to give her a little bit at a time because that was the, now we know I think one of Salem's biggest problems was pacing she had a really hard time with figuring out how to suck swallow breathe suck swallow breathe with the bottle and even later when she would get on the cup she still had a problem with pacing everything was just a pacing issue right so when we did the spoon feed we were pacing her very slowly and then we switched her over to a straw cup when we could I did the easy peasy straw cup for a little bit and now she's on a different straw cup which worked out better for her only because it paces her even more. (laughs) Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And I think it's important to acknowledge that there are different tools out there that are developed by therapists and that are helpful in therapeutic sessions. And I think it's wonderful that you have this ongoing support from a speech language pathologist who specializes in infant feeding, who can help you try out some of these new tools. But at the end of the day, you're the one at home really directing this care, running her meals. And I mean, you it looks like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of your Instagram and we're, we'll share it in the show notes. And I think everyone should see it because it's you stuck with the progression of new foods despite some of these challenges. So let's talk about the new foods that you did. Did you get into like back into the routine of doing five new foods a week like you had done with Walker? Or did you have to slow that down because of her feeding challenges? Yeah. So it was at the start, I, I had a really hard time because, because it was so disorganized. I, my brain, I knew basically winning one way and me wrapping my head around a separate way was really difficult at the start. And so I actually wasn't going to post her at all. I, I was recording it, but I'm actually behind on my Instagram. My Instagram's like a month or so behind, I think, because I recorded about a month of stuff. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this because yeah. You didn't know how it was going to go. Yeah, it was so different. And I didn't know how it was going to go. And I didn't know how it was going to look. And it didn't look the way I expected it to. So that was, and then someone told me that 
okay, what if somebody else has a D2 baby and they want to see this? And I was like, you don't know how many parents I've already referred to your Instagram account. And also parents of typically developing children. Like, I can't do this. And I was like, I know this is hard. It's hard for all parents and not like, oh, look at this mom, her baby has a, but like, look, there are ways that babies can see it. It doesn't always look the same. And that's what I think is so important to highlight in stories like this. Like the timeline might not be the same. And I know it's so hard. I'm sure the whole time you're just comparing yourself like at this age, Walker was doing this. Or you can go back in your phone and be like, when Walker was this age, look what Walker was doing. And and yet when I look at your Instagram and I see Salem and you're not just posting the highlights, like you are posting the days that are challenging or days where she didn't eat that much. But that also happens for families that don't have a G-tube. Like this is not a straight and narrow path. And the goal is to help her become an independent eater on a time frame that works for her. And I'm just, I mean, I'm blown away at how well she's doing given the fact that like just a few months ago, 100% of her nutrition was coming from nutrition support. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we did eventually get to the one new food a day. It was like when we first started, the baby came home, it was so crazy because we had just got home from the hospital. I couldn't plan anything. So And you have a two and a half year old. Like Yeah, at the time, you know, having a toddler, I was just like, I'm just surviving. I'm survival mode. I'm just going to do what I can, what I know already, already from Walker. I know how to feed. Because that's the thing is, I know how to give a baby food at this point. I know what's safe and I know it's not safe. So I was like, I'm just going to do this as best I can. And I'll get into my groove eventually. And I did. I got into my groove eventually where I was planning out her foods. And I'm a little behind from where I'd like to be because, <laughs> you know, I wanted to do the 100 new foods before one. And I'm like three days off. I'm literally like, <laughs> uh, you know, you could give more than one new food a day. I know you know this. Like, know, let's just double up on the weekends. I was like, why didn't I think I I didn't think about that until just recently, which is why I'm like, wait, I can do more today. Yeah, definitely. Okay. One thing you told me early on, I thought it was interesting is that you had to be vigilant about staying away from what you called hidden liquids in foods. So I know we don't have a diagnosis and that's like, what's the answer? What's wrong with her? You're probably as frustrated as as I am. Like, oh my gosh, I want to know what's wrong. But the point is you've, at the end of the day, she needs to continue getting nutrition and you guys are figuring out how to work with it. But what is it about liquids that's problematic for Salem that you see now, or is that totally resolved itself with the hidden liquid stuff? No, we definitely still have to be careful for it for some for some things. I still haven't given her like oranges because those are very juicy. Um, and that's what hidden liquids are. It's just like a food that you see as a solid. And then when you actually eat it, it turns into a liquid. And so you have to be careful with those things. And there are certain things at the start that I did not realize was hidden liquids that I gave her anyways, because I did not know. Like what? Can you give us some examples? Yogurt. I didn't know that that was a hidden liquid. I thought it was more of a puree like texture, but I, I got all the way. I think it was a, one of her G, one of her GI checkups that she was there. And I talked to the nutritionist and she was like, so you know about hidden liquids? And I was like, yes, got it down. I know. And she said, yogurt is a hidden liquid. And I went, what? I'm sorry. But did Salem do fine with yogurt? She did. She did fine with it. And it, I don't know if maybe, I mean, I don't know if it was. <laughs> Well, there's varying degrees of thickness and preparation of yogurts. I mean, we, I could show you 10 different consistencies and viscosity. So I like that you were like, thank you for the information. The baby happened to do fine on this. I mean, what other foods had hidden liquids in them that you were surprised by? Uh, most of it was just like really thinking about it before I gave it to her. It wasn't like I didn't really have a list. No one gave me a list, right? No one. The, you get a surprisingly small amount of information about G2. <laughs> it's better than getting leave. a list of like, usually they leave you with like, here's a list of all the foods your child can't eat. And then parents get so scared that they go home and like, I can't do anything. I can't just buy like medical foods. And you, I'm looking at all these foods on your Instagram that she's eaten and it, and you really kind of ran the gamut. Have you guys, I mean, I'm curious about watermelon because that's a food that's really challenging for babies, even if they don't have swallowing difficulties. So are you going to hold off on like watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew, the ones that have the real thin liquids coming out of them for yeah, a while? So I believe we did do, we did do honeydew. 
our honeydew was not specifically very juicy. It was like a, cause it was off season anyways. It was not a very juicy yeah. one, but we are avoiding like oranges and watermelon still anything that's like that had juicy. She has grapes and grapes can be sometimes, but she, I waited a little bit later for grapes, but yeah, watermelon's one we're avoiding. And the thing is, so her, she's drinking liquids right now out of straw cups, but they're still thickened. If she's gone down. So she started at a level four high, very high level four. So very high, moderately thick. And we worked our way very slowly down this uh, sliding scale of thickness. And she's in the middle of level three, which is like um, mildly thick. So she's not really ready for like a thin, like a watermelon, but she has had like soup now. And it's been a, either a thick soup or a thickened it is one of the two. Like I've given her like thickened soup that I've thickened with oatmeal or I'll give her, or I'll just modify it a little bit. Like where I'll give her soup, but I'll give her, I'll kind of strain most of the liquid out and give her the insides of it. Uh, how much formula a day is she drinking now and how old is she? She is now a couple of days. She's six days from one year old and she is drinking somewhere around like 18 to 22, depending on the day. Awesome. Out of th- thick and liquid too. That's impressive. Yes. Yeah. And have you had any advice to start water? Or are you guys really focusing on the formula and like every bite needs to have nutrition and every sip needs to have nutrition in it? So I've asked about the water because that was my concern is she turns a year old. We probably won't be doing formula and I can thicken milk, but I was like, she's going to have water needs. What does that look like? And I asked the nutritionist and actually we have a follow-up soon that I'm going to restart this conversation, but they pointed me towards simply thick, which is like a thickener added to water. And it kind of turns it into this, it's kind of gross. Slime. A little bit like jelly. (laughs) The cool thing is is she's used to drinking it. Like it's so hard to get a toddler to start on that stuff if they were used to having thick, thin liquids. How's her growth doing, Brooke? She's actually fantastic. She exceeded her weight goals the last time we went to her checkup. She is very, she's on par with her clothing now. So I said when she was six months old, she was in zero to three months clothes. Somewhere around one month of her G-tube, she really shot up very, like a lot. And they were, when we went to our follow-up sheet, they were like, she is exceeded. She's doing great. And the funny, the one funny thing about it is, you know, they had those really high expectations for her to eat formula and I had moved it down. <laughs> Yeah, because you don't want her to be full of formula. No, but I I mean, I love that. Like you're you're using what you know about normal healthy nutrition and then you're applying it to your own child's condition, which you don't have like a cut and dry diagnosis. And what happens a lot of times in situations like yours, like this is like a success story because what we normally hear from parents is they went on the tube and they never got off. And then it's parents contacting me like, Katie, what tube weaning program should I be on? My baby is one year old, has never had anything in their mouth. We, and they're so scared to try anything, which again, every child's condition is different. But I really admire you like weighing both, you know, your mom gut stuff with what you've learned about her swallowing situation, also what you know about nutrition based on your experience from Walker and just kind of blending that together to choose the path that's best for your child to help her become an independent eater. Yeah, at the start, it was a very big concern of mine. I, like in the hospital, I was looking at, I was actually looking at case studies of G2 babies and how do they, how do they fare with solid foods and stuff? Because I was like, I'm reading this and it's saying G2 babies have a hard time with solid foods. And I'm really freaked out by this because I don't want this to be a a lifelong thing for her. And so I'm just, I was, I was having a a mini freak out. And then I calibrated the SLP at the hospital. She was great too. And she very much made me confident that Salem would be okay to start. And I immediately got home and I was like, okay, I'm not ready, but we're going to do this. Yeah. And I think also knowing that nutrition support is in some cases, it is a lifelong. We have situations with babies that have to be on total parental nutrition. And we understand that if they have, you know, very large gut involvement and they can't utilize their own gut. But for most of the children that are on nutrition support, it's a temporary 
stopgap. This is going to help keep your baby alive until we can figure out what's going on or get them to a point. Like in your case, it's so wonderful that the second six months was almost like your lifeline. Like, wait, as soon as she can start eating real food and she's demonstrated that she can doing this, like, obviously you need to be concerned about thin liquids for the time being, but at least there's something else we can add into the mix for her nutrition, which is solid food or giving her the time to practice, like getting to the point where she can get most of her nutrition from solid. Yeah. Food. It honestly released us a lot because we were like, because we were so anxious about getting nutrition in her before. And then once she was on the G2, it was like, I, we feel much at ease. Like once we got home and we got in our groove with the G2, cause it's a learning curve, right? Once we got home and got in your group with it, we were like, we're so at ease now. We can do this. Like, this is good. We, she now, food really is fun before one, you know, the, the yeah. <laughs> it really is fun now because we can just give it to her and she has a great time with it. Okay. Tell me about the day where you did her last two feed. Like, how'd you make that call? And like, what did it feel like when you no longer had to supplement her oral diet with a tube feeding? The funny thing is it wasn't a, really a super intentional thing. What had happened was we had switched her to these different straw cups. The, it was actually the munchkin ones um, because they're, they take more effort to suck out of. And so it paced her a lot and she was doing great on it. She was really eating all of her formula. And we had moved down to one feed and in the evening that she would have however much she didn't get by mouth that day. Um, we had moved over to a place where tubes were sub- supplemental. So whatever she doesn't eat by mouth that day, she's going to fi- finish in the tube when she goes to sleep at night. And there was like two days or three days where we just didn't. We just didn't do it because like she ate a decent amount of food that day. She had she had three solid meals because that's the other thing to take into account. She was actually eating three solid meals. And the nutritionist, when I first was like, okay, so she's only eating, I think it was like 24 ounces of formula. And they wanted her at like 28 I was like, she's only eating 24, but she's eating three solid meals. And they were like, okay, well, that's fine. And we just kind of, we didn't do it for a couple of days. We didn't really talk about it. We just didn't. And then she was great. She slept through the night and she was doing great. And so I was like, I think we're good. I think we can continue on. Are you going to get the G-tube taken out? Or are you going to just keep it for security just in case you needed it? It is recommended that you keep it for like three to four months. So after you stop using it, just in case anything happens or if they get sick and they're not eating or any anything around that, um, she does have another swallow study, but it's not for a long time because she had three very close in succession. And so you can't have that much exposure. So she's got a swallow study way, 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 way down the line. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life, and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. What is Salem's typical food and milk and nap schedule like at this age, just before one, if you don't mind sharing? Currently, she's very much on my toddler schedule because it's a lot easier to schedule her around the toddler because she's a really easy baby. She has always been an easy baby. So she just kind of goes. Except for the whole point where she couldn't swallow liquids. Yeah, that's true. But other than that, she's such an easy baby. She slept through the night since she was like really little. And so, yeah, so she 
for her nap schedule, she takes one nap a day because she takes a nap at the same time the toddler does. She goes down at about one and then she wakes up at like usually like 3.30 or 4. And then she goes to bed at night at 8 usually. And she's good. She's really happy with that schedule. Um, she sleeps through the night. What time does she wake up in the morning? Seven-ish. She's, okay. she's a sleeping baby. She awesome. You you need that to recharge too, although I'm sure you're doing a bunch of stuff in there as well. When she wakes up, do you start the day with food or milk out of the open or straw cup? So we do, um, we start her with milk out of the straw cup because usually when she gets up, I'm just getting up and I, <laughs> so I go ahead and get her milk in the straw cup, the formula, the thickened formula. Um, she also gets her reflux med in that too, because she still does have reflux, very, pretty severe reflux in fact. But so she... She has that in the morning. And then once everybody's all up and ready and we're going and the toddler is up and ready and I'm ready, we go downstairs and I get breakfast ready for the both of them and they eat breakfast together. And then I go drop my toddler off at preschool, come back later, pick him up and we do lunch together. All of us. She usually does like a smaller bottle during lunch, like a, like a small one. And then when she wakes up from her nap, she gets a big bottle. I said bottle, but a straw cup. Yeah. So she gets a, a larger straw cup when she wakes up from a nap and then um, she gets a smaller one with dinner. So I try to do smaller ones with the meals because I don't want her filling up, you know, and then that's it. That's what she does for the day. And she's doing three meals with you guys. Yes. Okay. So what is your plan for when she turns one? If you want to transition off of formula, are you going to go to whole cow's milk? Like, what are you thinking? You stick on the formula for a little bit longer. So <laughs> it's complicated because I do need to like consult with our nutritionist again. Um, we're definitely going to switch her to cow's milk. I think the problem is I don't know 100% to do with her water intake yet because given like percentages wise, I think the percentage they gave us was something like 70% can be from milk and like 30% or something needs to be water. So I'm not 100% sure to do it about the water yet. And formula kind of provides that water as well. So I'm I'm kind of in between. I think we're going to do, we're definitely going to do whole milk. I don't know 100% if we're going to need to do some formula to get that water or if we're going to, if she's going to be happy drinking the Simply Fix. And I'm sure you're, the dietitian will help you with this as well, but you know, in very rare cases, is a is a toddler formula really ever indicated? A lot of times the toddler formulas are kind of, we've covered this on the podcast as well, but they tend to be, they're, they're just marketing gimmicks. Like it's to scare parents into thinking your baby can't be sustained on milk. But we always say for children that are being followed by a pediatric dietitian, in some cases there really is a need for a toddler formula. But I think you also are in an unusual situation in the sense that like she's actually tracking from a normal nutrition standpoint quite like a typical child that she's eating three meals a day. You've got that milk between 18 and 22 ounces a day. Like that's exactly where you would want a one-year-old who wasn't on a tube feed to be. So just, just remind the dietitian of that. So, you know, because a lot of times the toddler formulas, they are packed with added sugar, like other ingredients that you wouldn't ideally want to be in your child. And, and they, sometimes they prey on parents' fear of like, oh, my child can't get enough from food and milk. But in your case, like, again, you know, you have to track her growth and you're working with a dietitian, but it sounds for me as a registered dietitian, just an outsider looking in, like this is a baby that could make a transition to cow's milk, no problem, because she is so proficient at feeding herself food. Yeah, my only my only thing is the water intake. So we're just trying to play with like what that's going to look like. But yes, I am toddler formula was not a thing that I was looking at. I was hoping to do milk and water if it's. And I think it'll be an easy transition for you because she's used to the thickener. Like just if you were to introduce the thickener for the first time for a one year old, that's really hard. But also when it comes to the water, keep in mind that she's getting a lot of fluid from the foods that she's eating, even if they're not like the quote unquote watery foods. And then just be aware of the signs and symptoms of dehydration. You know, keep an eye on her urine. Take a look at the diapers. Like if it's foul smelling or dark in color, then she's not getting enough hydration. 
if she stops having, you know, wet diapers, or if you see like, for example, in her skin, when you pinch the skin, if it stays up, then that's a sign of dehydration. Just children won't purposely starve themselves. Children's also do not purposely dehydrate themselves. So like she'll be starting to have verbal skills where she can even ask you or sign for her cup if she is thirsty. But that, that cow's milk is a very high water content food as well. Um, we know children who drink absolutely no water at one year old, and they're perfectly fine if they're getting some other fluid. And likewise, one-year-olds who don't drink any cow's milk, and they're fine if they're getting vitamin D and calcium from other sources and a little bit of fluid from you know, whatever, hopefully water that they're drinking. But really outside of milk and water, there's nothing that she does need to be drinking. So you, you kind of have all your bases covered, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm pretty hopeful that we'll be able to just switch over to cow's milk and, and be fine. And I think for Salem too, at this point, the liquid doesn't scare her as much. <laughs> or you. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was a small window where like, she really just didn't want it because she was like, I, I'd rather have the solid foods. She really would rather have the solid foods for a, a window of time where it was like, this is really too hard. And now she's in a place where she's happy that she sees her straw cup coming out and she's like, yes. Yeah. She gets so excited about it. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, this is wonderful. I was a little bit nervous we were going to talk. I was like, oh, I saw this would be like a, a disaster. And you guys are like, she's out of two feet forever. Like this is all really, really wonderful stuff. And this is ideally what, what we want. Tube feeding is there to help you hopefully for short-term nutrition until you can get her to a point where she can eat. And it sounds like you guys are doing really wonderful. So any advice in closing that you have for other parents who might be struggling either with a child with the tube feeding or just general feeding challenges to give them some hope that their child can become an independent eater, much like your daughter Salem has become? For a G2 parent specifically, find other G2 parents or find somewhere where you can talk to G2 parents because you don't get enough information from the doctors in the health system. You just don't, and it's not really their fault. They don't have the time to sit there and tell you everything that could happen or that should happen or whatever, but you really need more information and you can get that from a parent. So that's my one thing with YouTube. G2 parents specifically, but then also for starting solid foods with Salem and Walker both, I think just being, I know it's, it's a little trite, but like being relaxed about it, because when you're really nervous and stressed and anxious about it, I really do think they pick up on that because, because I've seen it happen for me specifically, because starting Salem, I started her on like a more of the drier side of food, right? And then when I started giving her like the, the stuff that was a little bit, a little bit more wet, I was like really like, okay, I'm going to do this. And we took a long time to start meat too. Meat was a thing because we couldn't make it juicy. And I was like, I don't know how to give her meat now. Yeah, exactly. But you guys have figured it out. Tell us about your Instagram again, just so everyone can go follow it. Even when you get past 100 foods, I think it's just this wonderful resource for parents. Yeah. So the Instagram is walkie talkie eat. It was named that for my son, Walker, and I didn't want to change the name when I started posting Salem. So, <laughs> Well, I appreciate it because I, I was like, well, I was following. I was like, wait a minute, this is not Walker because I obviously remember Walker. Walker was a gagger. I was just looking, you know, we save all our gagging videos and you sent me a ton of them. I think I just used him in a reel the other day and I tagged you. But like he was a gagger and you sent me a ton of videos and then I'm like, this is not Walker, but he looks kind of like her, but it's Salem. So I love because you have all of his 100 First Foods on your account. So for anyone who wants to go back and see that. And then the transition to Salem and how she was doing. It's just it's just a wonderful resource for parents. Think I'm so glad that you ended up sharing this and I'm glad I could connect with you. And thank you for sharing your story with us because it's really inspirational. And you know, props to you. This is not an easy thing to go through. And I would say that most parents in your in your situation would be dealing with a one-year-old who's never had anything in their mouth because they're so scared. So I know it's scary and I think it's great you've had assistance from credentialed feeding professionals, but that you've also like really taken the lead in advocating for your daughter because she's doing awesome with her foods. Which foods does she have left on the 100 First Foods list that we can like piggyback and like get them all done before she turns one? Um, I have a couple of things that I, 
I'm I'm really struggling to find more things. Truthfully, I'm struggling a little bit because okay. only because I've got things that I don't want to <laughs> do that like you don't want to make because you don't like them. <laughs> yeah. Which ones? There were things like giving Walker shrimp was so hard for me. Just make her shrimp cakes. It's so easy. I know that was so hard for me. I did it with because <laughs> I find I find shrimp to be gross. I know. Okay, but, but has she had beans. shellfish yet? But she has had, yes, we make okay. brown cakes. She's had okay. shellfish. All right, good. So yeah. you've done it from an allergenic standpoint. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What else is on the like, don't want to feed list? Beans, because we're not a bean family. So like, you know, black beans and stuff. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to do it. I'm scared. <laughs> oh, but they're so easy and cheap. And there's so much iron. Like I got a bunch. I'm going to send you some more bean recipes. Okay. Just did a brand new like white bean burger. So easy with like sun-dried tomatoes and oatmeal, which, and again, like a nice thick texture that she'd be able to pick up and feed to herself. I'm sending you that. Okay. What else? We do a lot of Indian food, to be fair. We do a okay. lot of Indian food and a lot of things like that. Um, but but we're not the, just the beans we struggle with. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm thinking, I've been thinking of different foods for her. I go to Costco every week and I look through the produce section. I'm like, what can she try? And I go, <laughs> have you guys done artichokes yet? Yes, we did artichokes. Okay. I make spinach artichokes lasagna and the kids love them. So awesome. Yeah. Oh, see, she's already having like combination foods too. She's amazing. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm here watching every day to see her new foods and you were talking about being behind on your Instagram. It's like the story of my life. So I totally feel you, but I'll be here <laughs> when you guys get to a hundred and thank you again for sharing your story with us. It was wonderful connecting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Brooke Tibbet. Again, her Instagram account is walkie talkie eats. Fabulous resource for parents, either with a child with a G-tube, or you can go all the way back and see Walker, who was a typically developing child. Both of these children succeeded with learning how to become independent eaters. And I want to say thank you again to Brooke for sharing her story, because her family has definitely been through a lot. But I just loved how she married what she was learning in the clinical side of her baby being hospitalized and going through therapy and treatment, and then also how she combined that with just kind of her mom gut stuff. Like, no, I know this is what my baby can do and what's best for her. I will link up Brooke's Instagram as well as a few other resources that she mentioned in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 402. And I want to say a special thank you to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature food and science and using your brain, check out the podcast from Airwave Media. We're online at blwpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time. you find it hard to sleep at night then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.